Are you looking to get your feet wet in Gen AI on your own terms? Check out our free digital course, Build Your Own Custom GPT by Hatchworks. In the course, we teach you step-by-step -step how to create your own custom GPT so you can start solving some specific problems and use cases in your business with Gen AI. Trust me, you're gonna wow your coworkers and probably even yourself with this new skill. Check out the link in the show notes or visit hatchworks.com to get started. Welcome to Built Right, a podcast by Hatchworks where we help you learn to build the right digital product the right way. In each episode, we'll deconstruct the layers of successful product development, break down popular trends, and offer real advice to help make sure your product is built right. We may not have all the answers, but we've built a lot of digital products across a lot of industries, and we've seen a thing or two. Let's get into it. Today, we're going to get into a topic that takes true courage, guts, and above all else, humility. It's an approach used by some of the most successful product builders, and it provides the promise of quick iteration, validation, and getting closer to the almighty product market fit. To make it real, I want everyone listening to close your eyes, unless you're driving, let's, let's just pretend in that case, but take yourself back to high school. Imagine you're being asked to perform in front of the entire school, but you have no time to prep, no time to practice, no time to study, no time to perfect your performance and work out all the kinks. And you have to start right here, right now on the spot. Now imagine that's amplified to the entire digital world and PS everyone's got an opinion and they're able to comment with their thoughts, good, bad, or ugly. I'm talking about building in public. And that's exactly what we're going to go deep into today with Rui Nunez to explore and deconstruct this approach to product development and discovery and understand how you can start using it today. But Rui, welcome to the, welcome to the show. Welcome to Bill Wright. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And Rui, just for context, is a growth and product marketing expert, 15 years of experience, recently led growth marketing at OnDeck and product marketing and growth at Flybits before that. But what I'm most interested, Rui, is you've been building it public lately. You've been building a tool called Social Digest, and it's kind of having some pivots and interesting stories. But, but that's what I'm most interested to get into is the story behind this. You know, you've experienced learnings, failures, successes, pivots, iterations, uh, which just makes for the perfect story. Uh, but all these things in such a short, period of time, but that's, that's the beauty of building in public is the shortened duration of feedback, right? Yeah. It's, uh, like, I, I guess I should preface this by saying that whatever I say today should be taken with a big grain of salt, uh, just like anything else that you hear online, uh, and their individual experiences, right? So a lot of the stuff that I learned and how I learned it is likely going to be very different than folks listen to this and how they learn and um, and then what they take away from it too. But yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride over the last, you know, I think 90 days of just building in public. Um, and, uh, but it's not new, like building something for me, isn't new. I've, I've tinkered around with stuff, uh, a lot and, uh, saw what some other folks, uh, were doing online and how they were sharing their journey. I was like, I want to try this out, put my ego aside for a little bit and see, uh, see where this takes me. 
And that's the biggest piece. I think it's that humility element. You got to have this element of humility if you want to even start on this approach. Because it's hard. Like I, I, I have trouble with this today. Like putting myself out there, in uh, you know, just putting something out there that's that you know, like the saying goes, it's a shitty first draft. But you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that. Um, so I guess you know, when you build in public, one of the hardest things, like you said, is being able to have a little bit of humility, at least, is is understanding that you're sharing stuff that isn't done, and you're going to have other people see how you think and what you think at any point in time before it's polished. Um, just like your intro, right? You don't have much time to prepare for any of it. You just essentially share what you think you know at any given point in time. And that can either be a good thing. It could be a bad thing and things can backfire. But to be completely honest, unless from what I've seen firsthand, unless you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and have built an you know, this, this like portfolio of businesses, nobody really cares what you're building. Nobody really cares what, what you're saying. And I mean, I use that loosely, right? Cause obviously there are some people that support, you've been a great supporter of the stuff that I've been doing and working on with Nick too. And I uh, appreciate that, but it's, you know, you're not going to get this like tribe that's going to come after you and tell you to stop doing what you're doing. Yes. Yes. And I bet that's such a great point. Cause that's one of the blockers I think to people actually starting, just starting in general, take a, throw building in public out the window is that fear of rejection of, you know, everybody on name your platform is going to just, you know, viewing it under a microscope. Everybody's so focused on themselves half the time. Um, but maybe take a step back. Like how, how do you define what building in public even is? Like, how would you define, at, you know, kind of a base level? What, what is building in public? Yeah, I don't know if I can come up with any sort of Webster's level definition of what it is, but the way that I interpret it at least is sharing your progress as you're building something. And 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 the something can be, you know, interchanged with any other word you want, whether it's a course, a, a, a book, um, you know, a product, a software product. It could be literally anything, but the premise is that you're sharing your progress before you get it to a point where, you know, you believe that it's the best or it's perfect, which obviously that's never attainable. And I think that's uh, where a lot of people go wrong is they get the project to, you know, 90% done and then did, then they don't share it because they're worried that it's just not perfect. So that's the way that I see it. Obviously a little bit of a rambled definition of build in public, but you know, I guess the TLDR is um, just sharing, sharing your progress to building the thing that you want to build. Yeah. And, you know, so many folks view this as like a, a marketing growth hack type of thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, in its truest form, it's a mechanism of continuous discovery and early discovery. I know we were chatting about this the other day, being able to get what you're building out in front of people and having them either using it, providing feedback, that's, it, it provides for such quicker iterations on what you're building uh, before you go and you know sink a ton of money into something or go too far down a path of an idea, uh, but you know, I think that's the interesting piece to it. It's not it's not just some like marketing ploy type of thing. It's it's all about the discovery element. Yeah, if you, if you go down this path and you expect that your build in public um, approach is going to yield thousands of users, then you're setting yourself up for failure um, because building the, the 
the desired outcome of building in public or one of the desired outcomes of building in public is definitely the reach and the distribution you can achieve as a result of sharing this stuff on social media, right? And I'm going to go on a couple tangents here just to provide context. Um, so one of the big blockers of people building a reach in an audience online is generally writer's block or some form of it. I don't know what to write about. I don't know what I'm doing. People don't care about what I have to say, right? You get that part of it. And then what you do is you essentially take that away and you say, hey, look, I got a bunch of stuff that I do want to write about because I know the things that I want to talk about. So if you go down the path of saying, hey, I want to reach out to tens of thousands of people, you're going to see, and even me to this day, I, I have posts on LinkedIn that have five people that like it. But now if you reframe your objective of why you're building in public from, I want this massive reach and distribution to, I want to draft and write about my progress, right? Almost think about posting on LinkedIn or posting on Twitter or wherever else or a newsletter as a way to write your memos that explain the progress you're taking and being able to go back to it over time to, uh, to reflect on the things you've done. And the byproduct of that is ultimately sharing progress with other people that have similar interests as you with a similar path uh, uh, that, that you ultimately have. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the word memos. I think that's an interesting way of putting it because the way I see it, it's like this, the beauty of it, it's a story that you're watching unfold before your eyes. But in the truest sense of the word, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, right? I, I see you putting these things out here, building in public. Um, and it is like, that. it's kind of like little memos, little like diary entries along the way, but it's a story. Like we don't know where this is going to end up. You, even the person building, don't know where you're going to end up which is the the coolest part about it. Like, um, and there's, we'll get into this in a minute. There's several folks I'm kind of following that are doing this right now. And it's, it's just like, you know, I get my popcorn and kind of watch, watch what's going on as, as they go. But, uh, I'd love to get deeper into like, you've been building this tool called social digest as a, let's, let's tell this story. Like take me through kind of the starting points, you know, you've had ups, downs, uh, learnings along the way start to like tell this this story for us um and it's been a short period of time what you mentioned i think like 90 days of starting building this right yeah so i guess um maybe we can decouple two parts of sort of how the story how the story started between people that know what they're doing and people that don't so i put myself in the bucket of people that have no clue what they're doing which probably the vast majority of people out there right like i don't have yeah i don't have a background in product management I've never managed a product at a large organization. I figure this stuff out based on learning. Fortunately, I have a great group of people around me that uh, influence how I think uh, and develop uh, better habits and learnings in the process. So what happened was I had an idea, just like everybody does, right? Um, and they say, hey, cool, like I wanna do this thing. It wasn't the first product that I built. I'd already built stuff before. Uh, and I decided that I wanted to put something together and I wanted to mess around with Bubble a little bit more. So the no-code tool. And I wanted to explore that because I enjoy building stuff. And I reached out to some folks and then I chatted with Nick Bennett. And I said, hey, dude, like, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And he's like, I love it. And the hypothesis was that um, the uh, we all understand the, the, the limitations of LinkedIn's algorithm and the fact that we miss... LinkedIn posts regularly. And if we can find a way to 
make sure that people don't miss this post, they're going to be willing to sign up and pay for access to this, so on and so forth. Um, in advance, understood there were risks with this process, as you should always understand before you go down a path. Um, but thought that I'd be able to solve those risks along the way and find solutions for it. Didn't want to, you know, hurt um, or didn't want to negatively impact momentum um, just because there might be some risks uh, to be seen. Obviously, nothing that was detrimental to anybody's well-being or anything like that. But there are business risks that come as a result of building something that's on another platform. And just to like pause there real quick, this is a big point here. Uh, and we, we see it with customers a lot. Like there, there's no way to solve for all risks before you get started. There's this concept of you have known knowns, the things you know, known unknowns. Like I know there's some stuff I don't know. And then there's unknown unknowns. You don't even know that you don't know yet. And that's a big hurdle a lot of times with our even our clients is you can't draft a perfect requirements document before you start a project. How you start is exactly like you said. You have a hypothesis. You have a desired outcome. And yes, there is, you know, ideas around what you're building. Um, but but you can't be, you know, handcuffed by the fear of the unknowns. So that's powerful. I think just starting from it's such a good example of you got to start to start to uncover some of those risks. Yeah, and, and there's also fears of the known. So that's a great point. But in, in this case specifically, there were definitely uh, you know unknown unknowns, but there were definitely known known risks, right? For example, pulling posts from LinkedIn and being able to share that in an email. That was a known risk. We understood that that's something that LinkedIn probably looked at and say, hey, we don't, you know, we prefer that you don't do that, uh, which is why I tried to essentially find ways to get API access and stuff like that to LinkedIn. In order to do that, but because we're small, we're still figuring it out. There was no reason why we couldn't get the ball moving, start to bring users into the platform, and figure that problem out later. Obviously, if you're a larger organization, that becomes a bit of a, a liability. But because when you're starting out, there's there are tons of businesses out there that started out with scotch tape and glue and scraps of paper until they validated and then they scaled up from there. That was essentially the same using the same principles of just full MVP, didn't really know what was going to happen and found ways around getting it done. Yeah. And when you think of the built right mindset, the way we think about it is you got to build the right thing is one side of the equation and then you got to build it right. I'd say to your point, you know, don't get hamstrung on the built, building it the right way concept in terms of like maintainable, scalable, secure, you know, all these components that building the right thing is so important if it's greenfield, new idea type of thing. And it's it's hitting on these core elements of, is the thing valuable? Like, do users actually find value in it? Is it gonna be viable for your business? Meaning, can I make money off this thing? Uh, and is it feasible to build? And this is like, you know, Marty Kagan's one of those big, uh, uh, what's the word, not disciple, but just somebody we look up to in terms of how we think about product development. So, there you go, so right there. Right here, right next yeah. to here. Yep, and, and that's a perfect uh, segue there. But I've loved how, like, you know, I even like copied some of your LinkedIn posts going along the way. But I can see where you're intentionally going about this in terms of checking off the boxes of, you know, is it valuable? Are people finding value in it? Is it going to be viable? So maybe like take take me down that path and however you want to go into it. But these different components of those core yeah, elements. Sure. Yeah, so let's talk about feasibility, right? Feasibility we touched on, right? Can we do the thing that we want to do? Well, I think if you look at it from uh, a best practice, the answer is no, 
right? There's no API, direct API access to get the information, information that we have, but we had a way to make it feasible. That's kind of thinking outside the box, I guess, as they say, is like, are there other ways of doing the same thing? And there were other ways of doing the same thing, which allowed us to validate. Was it viable? Well, now we know it wasn't, but before we didn't know if it was viable because we still had the hypothesis, which we can get into after in terms of viability and, um, and figuring that part out. And what was the next piece? Valuable, like, is it actually valuable for the users? Do they desire the product? Do they find it useful, it. right? Right, so yeah, so in, in the second one is, is, or the third one is, is, is arguable <laughs> because mm -hmm. it, was it valuable? Well, apparently from user interviews, it was valuable. People said that they enjoyed it. Um, and I guess for context, which might help uh, add some colors that Social Digest essentially sends you an email every morning for the posts of people that you follow from the day before. So if you were posting the day before and I was following you, I would get a recap in my inbox with your LinkedIn posts where I can click on and go back to the posts. That's essentially how it worked. So people said they loved it because they lost a lot of posts uh, because the algorithm didn't allow them to see it. So was it valuable? Yes. How valuable then is really the, the metric that you kind of have to look at, which gets into the viability factor. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. It's like, it's that sliding scale in essence, like valuable to what extent. I think I even had that specific post saved, but and maybe this gets into it. Uh, it take me through that. It's, it's almost this willingness to pay type of component. And I know you went into some interesting learnings through this building in public process around willingness to pay some people will say one thing versus another and take, take me down that path. Yeah, so as a product marketer, I guess willingness to pay comes second nature and I skipped that step somewhat building in public, <laughs> which in hindsight was probably not a good idea, but still learned, learned, uh, learned my lessons a different way. Um, but the, obviously you can't run a business and, and this goes into sort of the post, the note that I released, uh, I think a couple weeks ago now that sort of explained the, outcome of social digest, but you can't run a business with zero revenue unless you have a bunch of capital that's been injected into your business. Personally, I had no intentions ever of uh, receiving capital uh, or getting investments or anything. I wanted to bootstrap this thing, which I did. I wanted to explore it on my own uh, and then build, um, you know, I, would, I, I wasn't expecting to build a massive business, but expecting to hopefully achieve something with it. And what happened over time is you, you start to talk to users and you get a sense of, okay, how valuable is this to users? Uh, what do you think? How are you using it? Right? Tell me, tell me how you're doing this before. Right? Just typical discovery questions to get a sense of where this product can go and, and how it can evolve and what features are missing. And maybe we built too many features or not enough, et cetera. And a lot of the feedback was positive. It was great feedback. It was just like, yeah, like loving this. I if we missed the social digest post, we'd get emails saying, hey, I, I didn't get the post. Like, I didn't get the digest this morning. So all the indicators pointed towards success until we put a Stripe integration and asked people to pay for the subscription. And that's really where rubber, rubber hits the road, right? Like you need to make sure that your product is good enough that people have enough of a need and a want for it that they're willing to pay for it. And in this case, even though people enjoyed using it, they didn't need it enough in their day-to-day -to, -day to, um, to end up paying for it. 
No, that's that's super interesting. And uh, maybe maybe talk to me about through this process. What what's been the hardest part about it uh, to you? This building in public motion. Well, I think that um, I think the first time around is probably the toughest. Um, and I think that there are multiple reasons why it's difficult the first time you go through it. One is you're still figuring out what you're doing. You've never done, done it before. So you don't even know what kind of posts you should, you should post or how you should post them or what things you should talk about, right? So you're still really figuring out what to write about publicly first, just in the build and public part of the business. And then you got to know what you're building. And if you've never built anything before, you are going to make an infinite number of mistakes. And I think even if you have built stuff before, you will still make a ton of mistakes. And there's that lesson too. And then there's like a functional lesson of like running the business part of it. It's like, how long can I sustain building this thing out? In some instances, folks will build this, this stuff themselves, which is great. I built the no code element all myself, but I also had to hire a JavaScript developer to help build the Chrome extension and components that added more features to to, to Social Digest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what's crazy about that, I don't know if you picked up on this, but there's a meta element to this because you literally are building in public of building in public, if that makes sense. Like you, by building in public, you're learning how to build in public. You're doing that motion to learn how to do that motion. So it's, it's kind of like a meta uh, thing right there, but that's it, really cool. Um, the Tell me this though. Uh, What's one thing you wish you could go back in time, not very far back in time, you know, three months ago, and tell yourself uh, when you started? Um, ask, people for, ask people for money faster. Get paid faster. I think that people, how should I say this? I love building products just as much as the next person who loved building products. And if you're doing it as a hobby and you have no expectation that it becomes something and you're investing relatively close to zero as possible in terms of cost, then you can do this as much as you want. You can go build a bunch of tools, um, launch a bunch of stuff. A ton of these things will fail. Maybe one that will make you some money. And I think that that's fine. If you do have an expectation for this thing to make money and you are investing capital or you're investing a significant amount of your time, then you have to understand how you can generate revenue as quickly as possible. And that if that means you have to scrap your idea super, super early because you couldn't find a way for people to pay for it, then that means you scrap the idea super, super early. Um, that's probably the thing that I learned the most is that discovery is important, understanding the problem, what the problem is, what the, you know, the customer need is, um, but also being able to identify that willingness to pay element and merging those two as fast as possible so that you know that you can scale out a, a viable business over time and a sustainable yeah. business over time. And it's interesting. It's, you know, when, when you're bootstrapped, it's almost like the luxury of being bootstrapped to where you're, you are forced almost to iterate quickly, learn quickly versus like something that's well-funded or a large company, you know, they can take these pauses. They can uh, take a long time to, to launch something ultimately to, to learn the same result in a lot of ways. And I think this is the beauty in what you've done. We're talking 90 days. 
you started building in public, you've learned a ton, you've kind of, you know, pivoted from the original thing and kind of get into where you're pivoting next. But in 90 days, in, in minimal investment, relatively speaking, from what I've seen from a lot of companies that will spend months, years putting something out there without answering some of these critical questions. And it's painful because you spend exponentially more money, more time, more resources, and you get the same result uh, or, or a, a not superior result because you've, you've learned less along the way, right? Right. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of wasted capital and a lot of wasted resources that go into building products and that happens everywhere. I've seen it firsthand in companies that I've worked at um, or you go down development cycles that are way too long, building things that you don't know if people want. And then at the end, you've released a bunch of features that people never use and or never see the light of day because you've pivoted before you even launch them. And I think that's the advantage of building in public is people get to see what you're doing and you can quickly pivot. And even though I mentioned like 90 days before, from the point in which we launched and accepted waitlist registrants to the point in which we published that we were going to essentially phase out Social Digest, it was probably just over 60 days at most. And we just I just essentially let it run. I think it actually technically turns off in two days, um, but let it run for a total of 90 days. But yeah. And if you can run it even shorter, even better. If I, I ideally in the future want to be able to do enough discovery, validate, financially validate the product or service or whatever it ends up being within the first 30 days, at most the first 30 days. And if you can't, then move on to the next thing. No, that's great. I think that's such a big learning. And what's interesting, you're kind of pivoting this other idea, but it's even more kind of a, um, you know, uh, MVP, you have an MVP type of thing. Like you're just lever leveraging kind of a plugin as the initial concept, which is a lot lighter weight, a lot easier to get out there. So even within the short period of time, the thing that's you're pivoting to is, um, you know, something you can get to those answers quicker that are so critical. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess to, to touch on that is, yeah, when, when I was doing user research uh, and talking to users of Social Digest, I was getting an understanding of um, what their current process was, uh, how they use LinkedIn and some of the challenges they faced. And um, one of the things that came up often was folks were interested in knowing who was influencing the influencers that they were following. Um, and they wanted to get a sense of who those people were so that they can also follow them and learn from them. And there was another use case in which people were using it for prospecting reasons, right? I want to go and I want to reach out to more people. And obviously we all know that there's a bazillion prospecting tools in the market and they cost, you know, infinite amounts of dollars. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not really cost effective for many folks. And in other cases, there's a monthly subscription, so on and so forth. So um, after Social Digest decided, hey, why don't I just create this quick spinoff of a Chrome extension that essentially allows people to go to anybody's profile or engagement uh, or on their posts and get the list of all the people who have engaged on it. It allows you to essentially increase the number of people that you follow uh, or if you're prospecting, it allows you to find people that are influencing your prospects so you can engage on their posts as well. And like you said, Super MVP, right? The way the tool works is literally open up a profile. This little slide out pops out. As you scroll the page, it populates all the people that essentially show up on the page on LinkedIn. And 
the features could have been infinite, right? I could have built a CRM. I could have integrated ChatGPT. I could have done all of these other things, but that wasn't the problem. People didn't come back and say, hey, I want to uh, automate outreach. It's like, well, there's plenty of tools to automate outreach, right? There's plenty of tools to do all that. What they're saying is that I want to see who else is around uh, and on LinkedIn that I could follow uh, or I can put on, on my radar. And that's what we did. And the difference between one and the other, obviously still early days for Influencer Circle and now starting to talk to more people, but you know, Social Digest in the lifespan of the product generated $10 and um, obviously still a small amount, but it, an Influencer Circle 24, 24 hours generated 60, right? So you see a big discrepancy between the amount of effort, money and time put into one project versus the other. And there's no correlation between the revenue you generate, right? Like it's really comes down to how big of a problem are you trying to solve? Because you can create something that's super simple, very cost-effective, and in some cases, or many cases, don't even require software. As long as it solves a problem and people find value in it and there's benefit, then they're going to be willing to pay for it. Yeah, and it's, it's so awesome, that comparison, that learning there, these kind of micro durations of how quickly you got with the second thing, you know, a week or two, just getting that, that going. Uh, it talks about the the beauty of constraints. Like constraints can be a good thing. They kind of force you to be scrappy and, and work with what you got. Tell me though, uh, besides yourself, who, who do you think's doing building in public well or anybody in mind for you that, you know, you look at and say, hey, that's a good example of somebody doing building in public the right way? Yeah, I think if you go on Twitter, you can find probably tons of those folks, right? I think Twitter's pretty common in terms of finding people building in public whether it's on the bubble side and people doing no code, but you can essentially look up build, you know, build in public on Twitter and find a ton of people like Peter levels is one that obviously comes up a lot because he's built, you know, quite a big success for the products he's been building and, and building in public for a long time now. So I guess he's seen as probably the being on the press, you know, on the, on the, on the upper echelon of, uh, of building in public. And then you have, you know, I was fortunate enough to work at on deck uh, who I worked with uh, KP who ran the no code, um, program there at on deck and he, he even wrote a book around building public too, which is awesome. Uh, and he's a good follow. And I believe now he's also getting active on LinkedIn and not just Twitter, uh, which is I think good for the LinkedIn community, but seeing more of this come up, uh, because I think originally it, it had just been, um, restricted primarily to Twitter and that's kind of where the building public stuff, um, entered, but yeah. And Jay, uh, Jay decides also on, on LinkedIn and we were just chatting recently too, and he's building some stuff. So there's, there's lots of great people right now. Maybe it's worth creating a list of who's building in public. I don't know, but there's lots of great people out there uh, to find. That's a good idea. Maybe that's uh, something we'll get in the show notes before we launch this episode. Uh, but it was even seen the other day, Darmesh who created HubSpot. He's got this new tool called ChatSpot related to chat GPT. It's kind of, you know, adding that chat GPT element with your CRM, like a, a HubSpot. And he's, he's kind of doing the same thing. He's got a very, you know, kind of rudimentary alpha out there, very similar to you. He's talking about like cool little use cases of how to use it. I saw today, he, he just bought the domain chat.com for like eight figures or something like that. But it's this crazy like transformation going on. It's a whole other topic around generative AI, but you know, this is not reserved to you know, the bootstrap, like there's big name people doing this thing. Yeah. I think that unless you're um, constrained by IP and there's something there that, that you don't want to obviously share, um, 
I, I honestly, I don't see any negative effect of sharing what you're building in public. Like if anything, it's the, the opposite of that. And, and I think when you, when you consider like, you know, folks like Nick Bennett and, and, and everybody else that has essentially built a, a decent sized following on LinkedIn who have, um, earned this significant amount of distribution and often talk about what is the cost of paid media nowadays, right? The paid media cost is significant. And how do you compare that to building an audience and having reach on a social platform? Well, obviously you're not going to pay virtually anything other than maybe your time to write stuff as long as you're writing reasonable content to continue increasing that. Well, imagine if you do increase a workforce or build a workforce of folks who share what they're building uh, on online, on social media. Well, there are a lot of great side effects that come out of that, right? Like you share more about your product and more about your business. So it's great from a career perspective and, and hire better people because they're going to want to work there and you're building a better product because you had an open feedback loop, uh, which you talk about often, right? Like how do you get more people in and tell you exactly what you're doing? Um, and obviously you're going to take that with a grain of salt too. social media, you get trolls, you know, that is what it is. And we all know that. Um, but you do get that feedback and that input, which ultimately also, um, gets boosted to increase a broader reach of individuals, uh, online. And as we all know, if we want to learn better, we should write about it because it's, you know, to teach, to, to learn is to teach. Um, and as we write posts on social media, we are further cementing our learnings, uh, of what we're building, why we're building it and our vocation itself as well as we post this stuff online. Yeah. Last topic here. We see a lot of startups, early stage, you know, type of companies, bootstrap companies, doing this building in public motion. Why do you think we don't see more of this in larger, more established companies? Uh, which, what's your thoughts there? I don't know, man. It's uh, it's a it's a tricky one. I think that I think it's the same issue that you get around um, why people don't know how to use social media, um, and why bigger companies don't know how to use social media. And we've all seen it, right? You got a lot of these companies that all they do post social media, post, all they post on social media is uh, birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, um, white papers, webinars. Like the, the templates are all the same, right? It's, hey, pay attention to me. And kind of double, double clicking back on what I mentioned before, we have folks that are doing this well and building a business or supporting the business where they work. On the back of that, you 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 start to ex increase your reach now if executives or whoever whoever's making the decision doesn't support this that is really up to them to figure out why that is the case they're they're leaving money on the table they're leaving opportunities on the table and in some cases you know if we don't know how to do something we tr tr try or at least tend not to go down that path maybe that's a, a reason but i think there's probably unique reasons for different businesses like I mentioned, IP might be one of them, but that's probably pretty rare to be honest. I think it's a terrible excuse. Like unless you're working in some sort of generative AI with like this super complex algorithms that you don't want to share and all this other stuff. Like I get, or if you're, you know, if you're doing something on the defense side and you don't want to share that, like there's, there's, I think there are certain parts of, um, and even in those cases, to be honest, there, I'm sure there's tons of stuff you could talk openly and publicly about. Yeah. Look at open AI. I mean, share the secret stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, open AI to a certain extent is doing this. You know, a lot of development went into it, but it's they're quickly iterating through it. Um, it's back to that 
that discussion on constraints, they don't have as many constraints. And I think it is part of where the power lies, but, you know, I think it's such a missed opportunity. Um, I think what would be interesting, these like companies with like incubator innovation type labs, like test it there. That could be, we work with several companies that have these kind of innovation labs and areas there where they could, uh, they could, you know, value by doing this building in public motion. So, you know, could you activate it there? I think that's an opportunity, but um, we just don't, I don't think we see enough of it in some of the larger companies. They they default to the the big splashy launch, you know, with the, the, the big marketing spin behind it and everything. And God forbid they do that and they didn't even solve the right problem. Yeah, I think that that actually uh, serves another thought, which is also the optics behind um, building in public, right? You, the, when you think about building in public, it is a very informal, very messy process, right? It's there's no editing, right? I've if it wasn't for Grammarly, like the majority of my posts would probably be incomprehensible, right? Like, like it just helps to kind of figure stuff out along the way. So shit, they're not a sponsor, I'm sure, but shit, that's a Grammarly on that. Um, so there is a lot of messiness in building in public. And if businesses are set in, in, in their ways of really caring about optics in a certain way, then I can see why they're, they have a, they'll have a bit of an aversion towards this sort of messy publication. Yeah. And here's the thing, though, if you think about this, what's, what's the, the uh, partner with messy? It's authentic. It's authenticity. What do most big brands lack? It's authenticity, right? So it's it's like right in front of their their faces in a lot of ways. This is an opportunity to put humans in the process, to be authentic. And oh, by the way, actually build something that customers want and learn as you go versus after you've sunk millions of dollars into it. Uh, but no, that's, that's great. So Rui, this has been an awesome conversation. Love chatting on building in public. Where can folks uh, find you? What's the best way to find Rui out there? Oh, uh, well, LinkedIn is where I spend most of my time now. Um, I'm posting and commenting as much as possible. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure you probably include a link there somewhere, but I am Rubians. But uh, yeah, I think that's the, the biggest uh, the biggest area where I'll have links to like everything that I'm doing and stuff. Yeah, no, and, uh, a, a worthy follow. Um, hopefully this gets more attention. Because like I said, this is like a story unfolding. It's, it's something I look forward to every day. Uh, the stuff, the knowledge you're putting out there and kind of sharing as you go. So really appreciate having you on Built Right. Yep. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Built Right. If you enjoy the show, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. For more info on Built Right, visit us at hatchworksbuiltright.com. Big news, season two of the Built Right Podcast is right around the corner, launching on February 6th. And in this season, we're going all in on generative AI. The guest list is insane, ranging from international AI speakers, founders of Gen AI products, experts in specific domains of Gen AI, and leaders across industries. And we'll even have some Hatrick's own Gen AI leaders as we dig into our generative-driven development methodology. This season isn't just for non-techies, though. Whether you're an AI guru or just AI curious, we're going to bring tactical real-world applications of how you can apply Gen AI 
in your work and your life that anyone can understand and relate to. And P.S. Gen AI will impact every single industry. So no matter your domain, you need to make sure you set a reminder every other week to listen to the next episode of the Built Right Podcast. While you're waiting for season two, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. And give us a follow on LinkedIn to join the conversation and give us ideas on specific Gen AI topics you want to hear about. So get ready. Built Right Season 2 Gen AI Edition is coming your way.